Are you afraid of the dark? Maybe when you were a kid you were afraid of the dark? I don't know why some kids are afraid of the dark. Maybe it's fairy tales they have read to them, or maybe it's TV shows they say. I, I don't know. But of course, when a kid is tucked into their own bed, in their own room, in their own home, with their own family, there's no reason to be afraid. But you know what? The dark can be dangerous. If you lose power in your house and things have been scattered around and there's no light anywhere, you might trip and fall over something that shouldn't be there. If you're outside on a moonless night, cloudy night, no starlight, nothing, and you're in strange territory, like let's say your camp, you got to be really careful because you could fall over something. Of course, if you're in strange territory, a strange place, yeah, not a goblin, but a, an evil person could get a hold of you. You could bump into something. You could drop into a hole. There are definitely situations where darkness can be dangerous because you don't know where you're going. You can't see. Today we want to talk about dark and light. It's based in the Old Testament. We've been studying the book of Exodus together. And we're coming to the ninth plague, which is a plague of darkness. But just a tiny bit of review before that. The children of Israel came to Egypt and it was a blessing their lives were saved because there was food in Egypt. There wasn't food back in Canaan where they were. But as you know, after a long period of time, they were made slaves. And of course, that was not good. That was a very bad situation. And now we've come to the place where God is sending Moses to Pharaoh. Let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. And so God deals with Pharaoh by sending several plagues, and that's where we are in our study of the book of Exodus, the plagues, ten plagues, that are sent upon the land of Egypt to try to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And as you know, over and again, why God sends a plague and Pharaoh says, uh, you know, take the plague away and the people can go. When the plague is taken away, no, he changes his mind. No, no, they can't go. And that plays out over and over. We're in the 10th chapter today. And we come to two plagues, the plague of the locusts. But we want to spend our time on the plague of darkness. I mean, we could talk about locusts for a long time and there are a lot of things about darkness we could talk about, but actually darkness and light is a theme which is throughout the Bible. And so uh, rather than try to delve into describing what the plagues were exactly like for the Israelites, we want to take the theme of darkness and, and light, which is a 
biblical theme. And it's interesting here. This is the ninth plague. It's the next to the last plague before the killing of the firstborn, which will be a message coming up. And so we're in Exodus 10 and begin reading with verse 21. Verse 20 we'll start with. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. That's when the locust plague was taken away. 21, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. That's dark. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Various scholars point out that the ten plagues were directed toward the various gods of Egypt. Egypt had lots of gods, idols, and those who are acquainted with it can name the various gods that are involved that God is not just bringing physical plagues of locusts and boils and hail and so forth, but they are at the same time against those gods of Egypt. The most important god in Egypt was Ra. He was the sun god. He was the chief of all the gods, he was a creator God. And so next to the last plague was against the chief God of Israel, the sun God. And the sun which God created, God darkened. And the moon and the stars. A thick darkness came over the land as it says, which could be felt. It was dark. People just stayed in their place. Too dark to venture out, to try to do anything. Just hunker down and stay in their place. Except the children of Israel. They had lights in their dwelling. Light and darkness, a biblical theme. Brothers and sisters and friends, we live in a dark world, a world filled with darkness. Satan is the god of darkness. He has blinded the eyes of people. And people without God, without God's revelation, without God's word, 
are in thick darkness. A lot of people wonder why various things are happening in this country and around the world. And much of it is because we're living in darkness. And people who have their own eyes darkened and their own hearts darkened do the dark things of Satan. There are all kinds of ideas out there which are darkness. And what we need is the Word of God to have light. Many, many scriptures that talk about light and darkness. We're just going to be looking at some of them today. Let's start off with Psalms 107, verses 10 and 11. 107, 10 and 11. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Why? because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. This, among various scriptures, tells us that when we spurn God's word, when we don't listen to what God has to say, we're in the dark. We don't know what life is all about. We don't understand what is happening around us. We ourselves can make very bad decisions because we're in darkness without God's word. Over in Proverbs, the fourth chapter, and verses 18 and 19, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They don't know over what they stumble. What's the way in the dark? I mean, if you live in a house with many people in the house and all the lights are out and you go walking around the house, you may stumble over something you didn't expect to be there. You don't know what you're stumbling over because you didn't see it. People of the world, without God's word, in darkness, stumble and fall. When things happen to them. They have no idea what happened, why it's happening, because they're in darkness without God's Word. And of course, the New Testament also speaks, maybe even more, about the whole matter of light and darkness. John 3.16, of course, is, they say, the best-known verse of the whole Bible. Perhaps it is. And it's a beautiful verse, a wonderful verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. A wonderful, beautiful verse. But the reality is that for one reason or another, many people don't want that salvation which God is offering. And as you read the verses which follow 316, it speaks of that. And we'll pick up in verse 
18. He who believes in him, say, for God so loved the world, whosoever believeth in him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Now that's love darkness rather than light. How could that be? I mean, which one do you like better? Physically speaking, of course you like light better than darkness. That is, if you're living an upright life. But darkness covers up evil deeds. A lot of crime is done at night. Because it's more difficult to see the person who's doing, committing the crime. And in a symbolic sense, of course, all kinds of crime is committed in a hidden way. Maybe it's not physically dark, but it's dark in the sense that it's unseen. And it's hidden. And people don't like it to be revealed. I mean... The news is filled with people who have done bad things and it's been uncovered. It's been brought to light. And that's exactly what it's talking about here. Men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And as I said, the news is filled with evil deeds being exposed, things which people did in a hidden way. They didn't want anybody to know. That's darkness. Many people, sad to say, love the darkness. They don't want to come to the light. In Romans, the first chapter, speaks of this, we can say in a historical way, talking about the, the human race, from the time of creation until the time that Paul is writing this letter. And we begin with the 18th verse, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So they first knew God, but then they didn't honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And then it talks about idols that they made and so forth. Their foolish heart was darkened. 
We live in that kind of situation today where people have turned around away from the plane to see that there's a creator who made everything that we have out here. It couldn't have happened by chance, by itself. And their foolish hearts are darkened and they create theories of evolution, theories of where we came from without a creator. Why? Because their heart is darkened. They've turned away from the truth of Almighty God. What we need is word from God. And of course, the leading verse, you're possibly waiting for that verse in this sermon. It's a chorus also. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my way. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. God's word guides us, directs us in this dark world in which we live. Without God's word, we don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going. We have no idea why we're here or what the purpose of life is. We're in total darkness without God's word. Thank God that he gave us his word so that we would know him. He revealed himself to us. He revealed the truth to us. He let us know why we're here, where we're going where we came from, what it's all about. And without his word, people are walking as men, as blind men, in total darkness, trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. They can't figure it out because they don't have the light of God's word. Now, having said that, I want us to realize that we've got to handle God's Word in the correct way. God's Word historically covers thousands of years. And God's Word, the Bible, in terms of what God was doing in the world, covers a multitude of situations. If you know anything about the Bible, you know it's divided into Old Testament and New Testament. Did you know that old is old? <laughs> if you have a car and it's breaking down and giving you trouble and everything and you buy a new car, well, you've got a new one. You've got an old one. The Bible is divided into new and old. And because it's divided that way, we've got to keep that in mind, that old is old and new is new. Turn with me to Matthew, 
the fourth chapter when Jesus begins his ministry. And a prophecy of Isaiah is being quoted here. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he, that is Jesus, came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are two of the tribes of Israel. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were setting, sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. That's got some amazing implications to it. They were in darkness. This is Jewish territory. This is territory of the land of Israel. These are people who had God's scripture, which we now call the Old Testament. They had God's word. They had the law of Moses. We can say it was darkness because they weren't paying attention to it. And it's true. This is a part of the northern tribes of Israel, which were in idolatry all the time and wickedness and ignoring God's word. But the interesting thing is that God is not here calling them back to Moses. God is calling them ahead to Jesus. Because even with Moses, they were in semi-darkness. Now, now that's quite a statement. And I want you to understand me and want us to understand the Word of God. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 7. In verse 6 it talks about a new covenant. And in verse 7 it says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones. What do you know that was engraved on stones? Ten Commandments. We're talking here about the beginning of the law of God, the Ten Commandments in particular, engraved on stones. It's called the ministry of death. Then it says it came with glory. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, the word glory is somewhat connected with the idea of brilliance, brightness, bright light. It came with glory. And then it says, So that the sons of Israel could not look intently upon the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. His face was shining. 
We, we speak of that in a figurative sense from time to time, but literally his face was shining. So it came a glory, it says, the old. Verse 8, How shall the ministry of the Spirit, that is the New Testament, fail to be even more with glory? But if the ministry of condemnation, that's the old covenant, has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what has been what has had glory in this case has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. Now let's let's get a hold of that what it's saying. It's talking about glory, brightness, glowing. And there's some glory over here, and then there's some much bigger glory over here. And so the glory over here is nothing compared to the glory over here. And many people, well, I'm not the first one to come up with the idea by any means, but many people have compared this, the expression here and its relation to the old and the new, and compared it to the moon and the sun. You can be out in bright moonlight and you can actually read a book in bright moonlight. Then the sun comes out. What do you get from the moon? Nothing. At certain times of the month, you can see it still in the sky when the sun comes out, but you just see it as something kind of bright up there, but you can't compare I mean, how would you like to live in a world where the moonlight was the brightest light you ever got? <laughs> Not very bright. So the moon, when there's no other light around, why, the moonlight is glorious, wonderful. You, you can see with it. But when the sun comes out, moonlight's nothing. And so that's the comparison that's being made here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant had a little bit of light. When there was no other light around, it was glorious. But when the New came, we had real light. Now don't misunderstand me. The Old Testament is important. It's valuable. We need to study it. We are studying it here in the book of Exodus. But we must always remember the vast difference between the old and the new. We must understand the old in the light of the new. We should study the, new, the old. We should know what it says. But we need always to understand that the new supersedes the old, that the new is much better than the old, that the new is quite different from the old. And so God's word is light, but in the old it's a dimmer light, in the new it's a much, much brighter light. And of course you know that that light is Jesus. 
Before we read a couple of texts about that in the Gospel of John, I want to mention, excuse me, some dark falsehoods that are floating around today. You perhaps have heard or read of what they call the three Abrahamic religions. That is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The three Abrahamic religions. Brothers and sisters and friends, let's realize that that is a satanic, dark falsehood. It is true, of course, that the Old Testament builds upon Abraham and God's promises to Abraham. It is even truer that the New Testament is built upon Abraham, God's promises to Abraham. But Islam has nothing, zero, to do with Abraham. Islam claims, did you know that Islam claims that when Abraham sacrificed, almost sacrificed his son, Islam teaches that it wasn't Isaac, that it was Ishmael, is the one he almost sacrificed? Did you know that Islam teaches that Ishmael and Abraham went to Arabia and they built the Kaaba. Islam supposedly has no idols. I would say it's got the biggest idol in the world. The Kaaba. And it's a bold-faced lie with no fact to back it up. That Abraham was involved in that. There's no connection. Except the false attempt of Islam to make a connection there is no historical connection. Abraham has nothing whatsoever to do with Islam. Three Abrahamic religions is a dark lie today. Another dark lie is we hear quite a bit in this country about Judeo-Christian values. Judeo-Christian culture. Judeo-Christian civilization and so forth. We've already read that the Old Testament is more like moonlight and the new like sunlight. Totally different. Not totally different, but extremely different. Judeo-Christian values? When Jesus spoke of the Judeo values, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's Judeo values. Christian value is turn the other cheek. Judeo values is war. Fight the enemy. They went into the land of promise and killed everybody off. Almost. Not all of them. And they were over and over again. They were involved in war against their enemies. That's Judeo values. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
That's Christian values. Judeo values was to kill the enemy. Christian values is to evangelize and convert the enemy. So that idea of Judeo-Christian values and ethics and so forth is a falsehood, a dark falsehood of Satan. Brothers and sisters and friends, Jesus is the light. Let's turn to John, the Gospel of John, and chapter 8. And verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. It's only through him that the darkness is expelled. In chapter 12 and verse 35, Jesus therefore said to them, his apostles, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes, and that that's a description of the world today. People don't know where they're going. They get into all kinds of causes and all kinds of ideas. They don't know where they're going without Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. And of course, the scripture speaks over and over again of us walking in the light, being sons of light, us being light, but all based upon Jesus being the light. And so though before Jesus there was some light in the world from God's word and God's revelation, the real light wasn't until Jesus came into the world. He is the light of the world. In the first chapter of John, he opens up by talking about Jesus being the light. And in verse 6, one John 1, 6, There came a man sent from God, whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came for a witness, that he might bear witness of the light. He came to bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. John is a wonderful man. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He was a good man, godly man. But he was not the light. Moses, we're studying about in the book of Exodus, was a tremendous man. His life is amazing, not perfect but an amazing life of all he endured and yet followed God, of all that was put upon him and he still followed God. All kinds of examples. And Scripture even says that 
God was going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses. So Jesus, in many ways, is like Moses. And you could take time and make all that comparison. But Moses was not the light. He was not perfect. Abraham is a wonderful man, and we have examples to follow in him, a man of faith. But Abraham was not the light. And we can name over and over again various individuals in the Old Testament from whom we can learn much. Great examples for us and everything, but none of them are the light. Jesus Christ, the only begotten, eternal Son of God, He is the light. And so speaking specifically of Moses, and from him, of course, we have the Old Covenant, Speaking specifically of him, jump down to verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. It was God's word and God was working through Moses and he was blessed and everything. But it says grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The great contrast between the old and the new. The light of Jesus coming with the truth. Coming with mercy and grace and love and salvation. The greatest of all teachers who ever existed. Jesus is the light of the world. The Bible exhorts us over and again not to walk in darkness. You close your Bible, you're walking in darkness. You base your ideas on the philosophy of men, you walk in darkness. You base your ideas on your own concepts and ideas, you walk in darkness. To walk in the light, we turn to Jesus. We let Him light our path. We let Him show us the way because He is the way, the truth, the life, and the light. Back in Egypt, when thick darkness was over all the land, And the people just hunkered down to do nothing during that thick darkness. But it says that in the houses of the Israelites there was light. Brothers and sisters, we live in a dark world. A lost world. Filled with sin. Filled with works of Satan. The darkness is all around. Is there light? In your house? I know there is. For many of you listening. 
for anybody whose house is still in darkness. Invite Jesus in your house. And your house will have light. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent him that we might have light and life, that we might have grace and truth, that we might have salvation and communion with you. Thank you, God, for all those who are listening, who are walking in the light. Help us, God, every day, every moment, to walk in the light and to praise you because of that light through Jesus Christ. Through his name I pray. Amen.